0: Oh, Bredo. What's up, MP? Damo just called. Yeah? He thinks there's going to be 100,000 people at the Wellness Summit. Oh, uh, again? He thinks we're bigger than Michael Jackson, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles all put together. Damien Christoph has gone completely mad. Did you know he's made eight tonnes of forage? What? <laughs> and now he wants you and I to help him get rid of it. Oh, Damo. So look, being the good friends that we are, we've asked him. You've been forced. Well, we've kind of twisted his arm to make him literally give his forage away to 100 lucky Wellness Summit attendees. So if you're ready to enrol for our signature two days of inspiration, education and empowerment and entertainment, what do you mean MP? Australian Idol winner Wes Carr makes his Wellness Summit debut this year, BrettO. Wes Carr, you'll be guilty. So if you're ready to be entertained, head on over to thewellnesssummit.com and get four value bags of forage muesli or one bag each of paleo, muesli, bircher and porridge when you register. Now all you need to do is register for this two-for-one special, bring a buddy, bring a friend, bring a family member or a colleague. And then choose your forage selection for muesli or for assorted and get four bags per attendee. That's eight bags per double pass. That's almost 250 bucks of forage for free when you register for the Wellness Summit on August 25-26 at the Collingwood Town Hall in Melbourne. That's 150 serves of breakfast. Almost six months of breakfast just for registering for the Wellness Summit. Well, it's first in best dressed, these 110 Tickets are only available until June 18 or until sold out. All the details of this special offer, all the topics, featured speakers, and more are over at thewellnesssummit.com. Thanks for making eight tons of forage, Demo. TheWellnessCouch.com: Streaming wellness into your lives. This is up for a chat with Cindy O'Meara. Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison.
1: Here we are up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And we have little Karen on a at well, oh, totally not with us at the moment, we're not quite sure where she is, um, but we do know that she's recovering from being really ill, so we're sending all our love and hugs to her, but this week it's really exciting because Cindy uh, was in Dubbo here in Australia at one point and met a beautifully fascinating woman, and I'm going to hand it to you, Cindy, to explain the story because I'm really looking forward to this interview. Ah, oh, wonderful.
2: Yeah, look, it's been really interesting. I've been on tour with the um, Real Food Tour and I i don't know how many I've done, but I've done South Australia, all of Victoria, uh, through southern New South Wales. And every time I come to a town, I seem to meet somebody who's a, up for a chat listener, for one. Like the amount of people that listen to us just is blowing me away. Uh, and they, they say they're like, walking with us and they like listening to us, they laugh with us. And then I have um, people that just come up to me and tell me their story or somebody else tells me a person's story and this happened in Dubbo. Somebody told me uh, Carolyn's story and I just think that her story might resonate with some people um, that are listening to us. But before we really get into what happened, I, I really want to ask Carolyn what it's like being a ABC journalist, a television, radio, news reader. Tell, tell us all about what life's like as a journalist. Hi and
3: Kim. Thank you. Well, it um it is pretty it is pretty exciting. And then it can be just your typical ho hum <laughs> at the same time. But no, look, I have interviewed some pretty incredible people in my commercial career, you know, people like Kelly Slater. And um, and that was fortunately that was a television interview rather than a radio interview. <laughs>
4: oh wow. Hi so, guys, sorry. Oh, she's Hi. here. Oh, I do apologise. I was on the wrong Zoom link and because I was um, doing a couple of things at the same time, I didn't stop to see that it said Vicki Kelly on there, so please forgive me.
2: Well, no worries, Miss Karen. We've actually started the interview and we all told them you were AWOL. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> Here we are up for a chat and Karen Smith's really embarrassed. No, no, Kim, no, not at all. We, we told everybody how unwell you've been, but we can, we can talk about you in a little bit, but we're just talking to Carolyn and Carolyn um, has worked in ABC and um, television, radio, and she was telling us that she interviewed Kelly Slater.
4: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to have interrupted. Oh, my God. Please so, yes, he's uh, even more gorgeous in
3: person. than uh-huh. uh, Yeah, and really quite nice. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but that was some of the commercial stuff. And uh, obviously in the days of radio, there was some interviewing some different bands. And, you know, the free concert tickets and free CDs were always um, pretty exciting on the commercial side of things. But definitely working for the ABC was the most rewarding part. Being able to do those stories that made a difference in the community, you know, I remember doing one story that really probably sounds like nothing but it was campaigning for a remote community to keep their playground equipment and it was just this tiny community out west of Dubbo and, uh, and they won. They got, they got new play equipment <laughs> all because of these, you know, series of, of stories that, that we were able to do and, you know, they're the ones that make the big difference.
2: Yeah, they do. Did you do any investigative reporting? Like, did you really have to delve deep into um, an issue or something that was happening? Definitely. Now, when you are a regional reporter, I was the only
3: reporter in Dubbo, also managing the Orange office as well, doing I don't know how many news bulletins a day. So there's not a lot of time to do more investigative stuff. But the primary thing is to really disregard the press releases. You know, you've really got to avoid the spin, especially at the ABC where it's all about balance and getting every single side of the story. So really finding for the true story, not what the story that people would like you to tell as a bit of free publicity. So, yeah, I know there was, there's one that I recall um, campaigning for the retention of the family court sittings in Dubbo. And really getting to the bottom of that, it was just all about money and the inconvenience it was going to cause the community not being able to have the family court sit in Dubbo. And, uh, yeah, we had a victory. It's tricky. You sort of don't want to cross, as a journalist, you you don't want to cross that line as an activist. You do have to be careful, but you definitely can't underestimate the impact that you can have just by highlighting what's really going on and trying to dig a little deeper
2: you know it 's interesting i I love reading um, books by investigative uh, journalists, and they may not be their uh, topic as far as they may not be a scientist or they may not be in the food industry, but they've found something. And of course, all I do is, is read about the food industry, but they have found something that's got their goat and then they just go with it. And there's this one that I read a couple of years ago and her name was Blythman. That's, that's the, um, her last name, Joanna Blythman. And she wrote the book Swallow This and she went undercover um, in the food industry expos to find out the real name behind, um, your know, foods and what they were doing and how they were making them. And I have to tell you, I just, I learnt so much from her and loved her <laughs> underhanded, sneaky way she did it. And the other one was Eric Schlozer and Fast Food Nation. He did the same thing. These are investigative journalists that just seem to delve deep into Finding things out and and what they find out is is quite you know they're like detectives that's what they are <laughs> absolutely there's a lot of
3: research that goes on and I have to say though in a regional community the dynamics change a little bit you find out so much of the nitty gritty that's going on in the background that's off the record um. Um, and you have to look after your sources you have to look after your people. So you know some things and you think, how can I get this out there? But sometimes you actually just can't for the sake of future stories. So that is actually how it works sometimes.
1: So, so it's true to say then that everything that we see in the news or hear in papers, sorry, hear in the news and see in papers, obviously has the slant of the journalist's opinion and perhaps their background, even though they're trying not to have an opinion, it's it's true, isn't it? Everything we read or hear is based on one perspective of telling that story. How do you feel when you see a story go to air that you know there's another side but we're only telling one? Because we personally, all three of us, find it very challenging when we watch a television um, mainstream show, um, a news, current affairs kind of program, and you can tell it is very biased to one side. How do you cope with that as the journalist knowing that?
3: Oh, absolutely. Ethically, I mean, it's there are there are ways around it. You think, well, how else can I get this story out and expose what's really going on here without burning without burning the bridges? Um, and I guess it's lucky I wasn't as in my early days as a journalist. I wasn't so passionate about food because <laughs> I tell you what, I wouldn't have been able to run some of the stories that I that I would have had to run back in the day.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you want to give it? example of that have you ever got an example of that
3: one oh not really not that my uh, my chemo brain can recall but being you get to go um you know you get to go behind the scenes of everything and you know you'll be in manufacturing and you'll be in the meatworks and you'll just get to see exactly how, what really goes on and you think oh I can't eat that
2: Um, You know, yeah. Oh, and I think that you were across the table at dinner with me, and it just was so loud. I couldn't. I really wanted to ask you lots and lots of questions. But anyway, we next time I'm in double, we'll we'll do that, and you can tell me all those those amazing stories. Now, I know Karen's going to love this because she does have this heritage. That you spent a year in South Africa on a Rotary exchange. How was that? I did. It was amazing. It was so remarkable.
3: It was such a great opportunity. You know, I was 17 years old. My poor mother, now that I'm a mother, I, I had to think how she was feeling, putting me on that plane, sending me to Johannesburg for 12 months. And wow. it, you know, it was just after Mandela had um, come into power. So it was a real period of change. Um, but, you know, I was just a wide-eyed, excited 17-year-old. So I actually really wasn't scared. My mother though was, and um, it was such an incredible experience to be up to living in people's home, like living the real Africa, being a part of the community. I actually had to go to school for that year, even though I'd finished school. Not that I spent a lot of time at school because everyone took me on their holidays which was was amazing so you got to see so much of the country and it is beautiful it's like a a condensed version of Australia
4: Hmm. a lot
3: of a lot of it and um no it was an amazing experience and the boost to my confidence was quite incredible um,
1: to be out there on my own in the big in the big wide world did you notice the the apartheid and the um, racism and the the whole thing how did that affect you coming from here
3: Oh, it, it was oh, it was really eye-opening. I mean, every household had a maid and that took a lot for me to get used to. That. Don't make your bed. And, you know, you're used to sort of looking after those sorts of things yourself and explaining to me, no, no, you'll, you'll offend our maid if you, if you do those things. You need to leave those for her to do. And then it was the security. It's the big fences, you know, and the barbed wire everywhere. It's just totally, just totally different. And seeing, you know, the apartheid regime had ended but that didn't change people's attitudes and just seeing that divide you know the divide between black and white how they just naturally don't talk to those people you know because they're a different color I really I really struggled to to get my head around that
2: Mm, when it's so foreign to what we do Mm -hmm. yeah
4: it's interesting actually growing up in that kind of an environment um Caroline it's 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 everything that you say it's interesting you know when we came to australia it was foreign to us to even make our beds Mm -hmm. you know and and i remember looking at my mom saying why do i have to make my bed i
1: still
4: don't want to make my bed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's, it's it's really interesting, actually, mm. being somebody who used to live there and then looking back at, um, you know, it, 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 there's that analogy of a frog in boiling water. And they say not that anyone should ever do this, but if you put a frog into boiling water, it'll jump straight back out again. But if you put a frog in cold water and turn the heat up, it, it doesn't realise it's being boiled. Mm. And I think what you were just describing there about South Africa is that the people that are there, they don't realise, they don't realise what a, um, what a tragic position they're actually in. Mm.
3: It was because really interesting. Children. I went uh, I was there in, for the year, I was there in 1995 and I went back five years later to, um, to visit because obviously I made some incredible friends. And um, the change in the country in just five years was remarkable. It went from everyone having a story of knowing someone who'd had something awful, a home invasion or something happened to them or being robbed at gunpoint And then when I went back five years later, everyone had their own story. Hmm. And I was scared then. Mm -hmm. So just in the five years, it it changed an awful lot. And I have been back once again since. And um, I was only speaking to a lady last week who has immigrated over here and she burst into tears. I mean, she left 10 years ago and she's still upset. Um, I mean, she's relieved she's not there, but she fears for her family are still there and yes yeah, still get so upset about it
2: wow that's pretty scary um well i'm just about to I'm head just... to johannesburg these two are not <laughs> coming with me <laughs>
3: <laughs> right <Whoops. laughs> like anything I was, I was always given the advice you just listen to the local knowledge and if people tell you not to go somewhere or don't do something then you it's really important you take that on board i think the first Week I was there, we drove past a dead body in the street. <laughs> oh I was
4: goodness. like, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're right, love. You're right, Cindy. Yeah, you're
3: right. This is incredible. But you'll be right, Cindy. You'll be fine.
2: Yeah, look, we're, well, we're just touching. We're just touching down in Johannesburg and then we're off to Namibia and Botswana and a little bit of Zimbabwe. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned. I've been over there a couple of times and I'm with South Africans often and they say, don't put your handbag on your seat, lock all your doors, just drive to this place. This is where we're going. Yes, you're fine at that shop. Um, I'll meet you with that butcher. And so it is, you know, a bit like that. But I, I never felt unsafe and my husband ended up going to Soweto Soweto I think it was he wanted to go in there and he went with a a guide into there and he just loved it because he was part of when New Zealand had um some real issues I think it was because Kim you might remember was it the cricket or the rugby um and New Zealand was having um some issues and it was back in the 70s and it was about the apartheid and uh, there were a lot of protests and he was one of the policemen that was being um, throttled basically. Um, I, I don't even remember what it was all about but um, maybe we should ask him about it. And he wanted to go to Soweto. Have I got the right, um, am yes. I saying the right yes. thing, Karen or Carolyn? <laughs> Soweto. Yeah, Soweto? Yeah, Soweto. Yeah, Soweto. Yeah. And he quite enjoyed that. What What I want to know Carolyn is how did you go from why did you want to be a journalist well how did that happen look I I was sent off to boarding
3: school I was 11 years old at the time we lived I was from young a country town and we lived out of town and I never got to do anything because I had to catch the bus to come home never got to do any after-school activities and then I got sent off to boarding school and wow incredible. I could do everything. I lived on the school grounds and got so involved and sport became my absolute passion, did everything. So I wanted to be a sports journalist and I went off to South Africa thinking, yep, um, I'm going to be a sports journalist. But then uh, reality kicked in uh, when they're all rugby mad over there going you know what, I actually don't know much much about sport. I really, I was only interested in the select few sports. Um, And then I went through the phase of, you know what, I want to be on getaway. (laughs) I love it. So I'm at university thinking, no, I am not going to be a hard-nosed news journalist. I'm going to be a lifestyle reporter. And I remember my first big break was actually um, whilst I was at uni, someone at the local commercial radio station in Bathurst asked me to do their celebrity gossip chat every week so that was that was my in. that was the start, and then I actually ended up getting a job at the um the Bathurst Radio station because of it. And uh, lo and behold though, my first uh, I'll call it real job, but full time job out of uni was indeed in a newsroom, in a television newsroom in Newcastle, and I loved it. I um loved dealing with the fact, love researching, love knowing that what you're doing can make a difference, taking the story and telling it so that everyone is on the same level and understands um, what's, what's really going on. Do you think
2: yeah. reading the news, and I know you read the news for nearly six years um, on, at ABC Western Plains, do you think reading the news is depressing? Do you think it, um, to hear the, the, I try to avoid the news, um, but what, what do you think? What, what was your thoughts about reading it all the time, or you wouldn't, you didn't even think about it at that point in your life?
3: No, I did think about it, but you really have to, you really have to switch off the emotion. Mm. Um, I have reported on some hideous things. I mean, my first week at the ABC, there was a triple fatality out on the Null Highway, and there I was doing a cross onto ABC TV News that night, mm. and you just have to. You, you've just got to switch off the emotion um, you can't take it, you can't take it home with you. I suppose that's similar to people who work in emergency services, but by the same token, I was really conscious that I didn't want my news to just be completely reactive and completely negative that we needed to search out the good stories as well. you know you'll know you know when you do, when you do watch the news, they have that little kicker at the end, you know the little happy upbeat story yeah. um, you know but I, I did search. For stories to try and keep it balanced to keep it interesting because it is depressing and honestly now now i struggle to watch the news because i really i'm not interested in people dying and all of the doom and gloom in the world when you're trying so hard to stay positive um yeah i do find it challenging now as someone who lived and breathed the news for you know i don't know 15 or so years to
1: now actually not want to watch the news. (laughs) <laughs> is um, you know, I, just, yeah. I just read some information about that, that because i was trying to understand why do we remember and tell a negative story 10 times more than a positive and apparently it's to do with the hard wiring in our brain that we actually use different parts of our brain for the negative and a different part of the brain for the positive and that comes back from the primal situation of always being on edge that something bad could happen so it was about keeping aware that bad things happen out there so i thought that was quite a fascinating thing because we it is actually natural for us to tell bad stories and it's natural mm-hmm. for us to actually be intrigued with bad stories mm-hmm. or drama or anything like that. And Karen's mentioned this a number of times on the podcast about I can't remember those words that you used, mm-hmm. Kaz. Um about when we tell a story it's gotta have fear. I don't know, there was something she oh, talked about. Yeah,
4: there were fears fears, that's freaks. Um there were five Fs um to the story don't can't swear <laughs> <laughs> oh all the other ones Fears, fats freaks uh, funny was one of them i can't remember what the other one was mm-hmm. yeah
1: so so carolyn back to so you've been a journalist you've worked in radio and television in newcastle and in new south wales But something happened in Newcastle as well. Tell us what happened there and tell us how you ended up in Dubbo of all places.
3: (laughs) Well, I had a very rare Melbourne Cup day off, you know, as a journalist, you don't tend to, you know, there are always big reporting days. And um, I went out with a friend to the pub and there was my husband standing in the corner, my future husband. (laughs) So my very cheeky friend, we'd just walked into the pub, got a drink, and my very cheeky friend, um, he was a bit of a character, he looked over in the corner and he saw Scott and he actually thought to himself, oh, that's a good-looking bloke. That's a good-looking bloke for Carolyn. So we'd actually had a discussion earlier in the day that we are going to do the brother-sister routine Because, you know, it's tricky when you've got a male friend. They all think they're your boyfriend. So this guy walks over bold as brass to Scott, my future husband, and says, G'day, mate, I'm Russell and this is my sister, Caroline. (laughs) (laughs) So it all started with a lie. (laughs) Um, And it was pretty, you know, it was just meant to be because he would normally be working as well and it was pretty incredible that he had that day off. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just amazing. I actually moved to do a stint in Coffs Harbour, doing a maternity relief position there. The next day I was leaving for Coffs Harbour. So we sort of lived apart for nine months and then it was a whirlwind. I moved to Dubbo. We moved to Dubbo together where he had, um, had business and, um, I threw the career out the window, I thought. And... <laughs> And follow my heart. Mm. I remember. I remember driving into Dubbo with all my worldly possessions in the car, going, "What am I doing?" (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, after nine months, I've worked out he's not an axe murderer. It's all good. And <laughs> you're still there. <laughs> and I'm still here. And it's funny because we, we had the opportunity to buy this house, you know, worst house, best street kind of thing. We got it for just nothing. And our plan was we're going to renovate it and then we're going to sell it and we're going to move back to Newcastle. This was the six-month plan. How many years ago was that? Was that <laughs> like... 10 10 years ago or something so um but we just fell in love with the place you know it's a really great regional community and it's a really great lifestyle and it takes five to ten minutes to get anywhere and um you know there there are changes happening and things are it's and it's yeah really growing and it's a great place to raise a family
2: I agree. I was just, I don't, I've only ever passed through Dubbo on my way to Melbourne on the Newell highway. And this was my first time that I had days in Dubbo. I absolutely fell in love with it. I like the national parks around you, the hiking, even the town itself, you had some amazing stores in there, especially because my love is food, you know, great restaurants, great food stores, great coffee shops, uh, lots of natural therapies I noticed that were around there. So. I, and the zoo! Oh my, oh my goodness! Let's talk about the zoo. oh I had, I had, I went to the zoo. I rode my bike to the zoo, or a bike that um, Liza, one of the girls um, that I went hiking with the day before, she lent me her bike, and I I biked to the zoo, and then I biked around the zoo, and I thought I was in Africa. It was amazing.
3: Isn't it amazing? The open ranges, because of how it's designed, there are no big fences. So um, you've sort of got this open range zoo and, yeah, it really does feel like you're in Africa. It's amazing. And how lucky are we to have that here? I mean, that's our exercise. We have Zoo Friends Parcels and you go out there and you do your 5K circuit, walk or ride, and that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like heaven. <laughs> Is, can Karen, they have they
2: the accommodation it? in here? Yeah, yeah. I was that's just going to tell you that, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> them these safari tents, so you you would you would do better in the safari area because the other one was tents, so they've got the tents in the tent area, but they 've got these i guess they 're like safari. First class, would you say Carol? Yeah, it's called yep.
3: Glamping.
2: Absolutely. Oh,
3: it's called Zufari mm-hmm. Lodge. And it is incredible. And these sort of really posh looking tents it all facing. Like uh, mm-hmm. And and they feed the giraffe. So you wake up in the morning and there's <gasps> a the giraffe right out the front and it's incredible and then there's beautiful we have this beautiful African banquet for dinner and you get these exclusive behind the scenes tours.
2: You you ladies need to do it. It is <laughs> amazing,
4: Can amazing. We, again?
2: Can we, go? <laughs> we we might need to do an up for a chat day in um Dubbo. What do you think? And then we'll just do well, safari either end of it. <laughs> take, take oh, me gosh. now. Right. We we will plan on that one. Not sure when, but we will plan on that one. I might need to go down and do a recon. Okay, you do the recce. (laughs) I'll do that. That might happen this weekend. I won't say yes or no. (laughs) Well, you can get a direct flight from Brisbane to Dubbo, just so you know, because I've been planning to do this. I think Howard would love it. I think he'd absolutely... I think we should all just do it. That's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carolyn, I want to get on to... Where you you felt that you were eating, you know, well. Um, although there were some fad diets, but there were two things that happened to you um, that made you really think. And one was your godmother. What happened there?
3: Yeah, I've got my godmother's. This is amazing woman who was still, you know, backpacking around Asia in the in her seventies. Um, never had any kids, so as her goddaughter, I guess I was sort of her surrogate child and. I'd go and visit her and stay with her and she was always so conscious about what she was eating and I was there visiting her once and she's she's on this ludicrous diet and I just couldn't believe it. I thought, you're in your 70s and you are still, you know, counting calories and watching everything you eat and for me it was a real light bulb moment. I just went, there is no way I am going to be like that when I'm when I'm older or even now. So, um, yeah, I just made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to live like that and that's when I started, you know, searching out, well, what is the key to living a healthy life without having to do these silly diets?
2: Mm. And, and you, you found a nutritionist in Dubbo that helped you. Um,
3: yes, she did. So, yeah, and the other thing was I'd had around that same time I had a miscarriage yeah. and... Um, and I was determined that I just wanted to be in peak condition to have babies. I thought I'm going to do everything I can to give my kids the best possible start, which begins with me and how healthy I can be before we even conceive.
4: Mm.
3: So, And it obviously worked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had two babies. So, um, yeah, they're six and eight years old now.
2: And then you learnt about Thermomix. So tell us what um, you did with um Well, after you got your first Thermomix, I guess, um, I heard you became the Queen of (laughs) Dubbo. The
3: Queen of Dubbo. Yes, maybe briefly I I, (laughs) I wore that crown. But, yeah, while I was on maternity leave, I discovered Thermomix. I'd done a lot of research and... and I just knew this is what we needed to take our whole foods to the next level. I couldn't cook, you know. I was not. I was not a cook. So for <laughs> someone who had been having, you know, like you know, uni days, domio and chicken tonight and what have you, to um, to have this machine that just like magically <laughs> made food. People were asking for my recipes. That has never ever happened to me before. So. Um, so, yes, I was cooking up a storm and I did. I started I started selling them and it was just amazing to see the changes that it made to people's life because that's why I wanted to share it. I knew what a difference it had made in my life and I wanted to share that with other people to see them make their healthy changes as well. So, yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. There was a, a lot going on and a lot of demos doing the juggle, but to see all these people cooking from scratch and eating real food um, was really incredible and that really piqued my interest in food. So at the same time, I started um, my own business called Nourishing and Delicious because I think that's exactly what food should be uh, because I was out there selling the Thermomix and then everyone's asking me, where do I get this stuff from? How do I cook the good stuff in the Thermomix? So, yeah, I helped them access all the organic staples that they needed and I brought a couple of whole food chefs to town and we did fermenting classes and all of this, all of this different stuff to, um, yeah, just to really, really help the help the community and, and it was exciting and that there's a real mood for change in Dubbo. Dubbo mm. has really
2: embraced healthy lifestyle. Yeah, I felt that definitely. So you're running the Thermomix business, nourishing and delicious. You've got two children, you cook everything from scratch and um, you, you're obviously a, a person that just goes for it. I, I got that. I, I got that when I met you. Uh, you just, and what you did, you know, You know, with going from journalism to babies to Thermomix to nourishing and delicious, you know, you were really pushing yourself hard, weren't you? Yeah, I'm all or nothing.
3: It's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how I am, unfortunately. And, uh, yes. I did I did yeah it was it was tough but mm. I was having a um I was having a bra fitting in June 2016 this beautiful lady comes to my house and she said oh my goodness you you've gone up a bra size and I was like Whoa, you beauty <laughs> <laughs> and then um and then she left and I went, oh, that's a bit weird. I thought that bra was gaping on one side and, you know, as busy mums, we don't have time to stand there and check ourselves in the mirror too often and I could see that my left breast was actually almost half a size bigger than the other one and I'd never even noticed. Mm. And then I looked and the nipple was all inverted and we'd recently had a friend go through breast cancer and I went, oh, my goodness. And so then I... I thought, oh, what if it's that? So then I started feeling around and I found a lump. Um, you know, I was 39 years old. I'd never checked my breasts. You know, what? when do you go for mammograms? When you're 50. It was not even on my radar. Um, and then when I think back, I think, oh, you know, my boobs were actually sore for a few months, but I thought it was hormones. Um, and then I'd had these sort of random shooting pains there as well. But then everyone says, well, they used to say breast cancer doesn't hurt, but um, believe me, it can So that's something to to look out for. So then I went through all the tests and everything and, yep, there was a lot of cancer there and and one invasive tumour. So I had to have a mastectomy and have a heap of lymph nodes taken out as well because it had spread um, into quite a few of my my lymph nodes and then began, began treatment. So, yeah, it was just to go from this crazy busy... Thing and I just call it my lightning bolt, and I think the most important thing is that you listen and you hear the message because I see people you know, the PR queen, Roxy, what's her name? Roxy Jacenko. And I see her keep working and keep crazy and going through breast cancer. And I'm just going, did you not get the message? Yeah, <laughs> did you not hear that, that you need to slow down? And that was actually the biggest thing I took from it. Obviously, when something like that happens to you, you go searching for answers. Why me? You know, like I said to you, Cindy, when you were here, I got so angry because I thought I was doing everything right. And I was embarrassed because I was out there trying to help Change everyone else, and then I'm like, well, I can't even look after myself. Um, so then, you know, I'm looking. Oh well, I've been working as a journalist. Was it exposure to the radiation from all of the broadcasting equipment? You know, I mean, there was a cancer cluster that closed the ABC's Brisbane newsroom in 2006. That's right. Um, could it have could it have been something like that? Could it have been the shift work? When I was in radio, I started work at 4:30 in the morning. Um, was it affecting that melatonin cycle? You know, so. I did you go searching 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 and then I just I stopped and I I looked back I looked back on what I'd been doing and I went oh my goodness it was the stress and it was the busyness and all the other women that I speak to that have been through this because you do create quite a network and you help one another through it that's one of the most powerful and fabulous things that has come out of this whole experience. And all of them have seemed to have that in common. You know, they all had some incident in their life, whether someone died or some major stressor in their life. And then they got breast cancer.
1: So Carolyn, can I, can I ask just before you go on, is that, is that your belief then? So is, or what, what, what's your spiritual, emotional and mental appraisal of this? Because we can say that stress can cause all sorts of things But now that you've had time to digest this, what exactly has been your thought processes around what caused this? Do you honestly think it was the stress? Because lots of people have stress and they don't get cancer. And lots of people have busy lives and they don't get cancer. And then there's lots of people who maybe are Zen masters and they get cancer. So (laughs) do you you believe it is that or is there something deeper and more profound that you've discovered? Look, I think it's absolutely
3: different everybody Um, and you know for me I look well I had the healthy eating right and the physical activity but I don't think I was looking after my mental health so I think that's what I've really realized is that you know I mean you see so many people get all wrapped up in the food and it's all about the food but it's so important to look after your mental health as well to try and get you know that elusive balance. I don't know if you believe in balance, <laughs> but um, um, but but yeah, to try and to try and get that balance right. But it is, it's different for everyone. But any sort of stress weakens your immune system, doesn't it, and exposes you to disease.
2: Right, No Stephanie.
1: Do you think that? Okay, since, so how long ago was this diagnosis? June twenty sixteen. So I'm just coming up to two years. Tell us that journey and what it's like, not only to find out you've got it, but then to go through the mastectomy and then to go through the rehab. Tell us what your philosophy for living did through that whole process. Mm,
4: look, it was, it was
3: a huge shock. And as I said, I was just so angry, but I very quickly came to terms with it because I was like, right, I've got a job to do. I need to beat this cancer. For me, what was really confronting was being someone who was trying to avoid toxic chemicals was then being recommended to have chemotherapy (laughs) and I had to make that decision Mm -hmm. Um, and I found that really confronting but I had two kids. My kids were, what, four and six at the time. And I just didn't feel that I could risk going down the natural path. And I just didn't think green juices were going to, were going to cut it. I thought I've just, I've got to put my hands in the medical professionals. And as my beautiful nutritionist friend said to me, you know, we will mop up afterwards <laughs> 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 and we will, we will fix it up afterwards. And, and I can see now that the healthy, I went as crazy as it sounds. I went into cancer being healthy. And that has helped me bounce back. I know that probably sounds a bit ironic, but I feel as though I have bounced back quite well. So I had six months of chemotherapy and then I had to have five weeks of radiation. And that was another really confronting thing because, I mean, I don't use a microwave and here I am going to be basically microwaved myself. But And that was an even harder decision knowing you know that that can cause cancer in years to come. So the treatment that they're throwing at you is potentially carcinogenic. Um, but, you know, when you're put in that position and you've got your kids to live for, you, I, just, I just had to put my hand in the medical professionals and decided we will just detox it and do everything we can to get back on track afterwards. I mean, I remember having my first chemotherapy and as soon as those toxins hit my Keep my bloodstream. I mean, it was, it was the most awful experience in my life. I was so violently ill and it was even just thinking about it makes makes me feel sick. Um, but someone had said to me, it's just, it's golden healing amber fluid. Like you've just got to think that that is just it's healing you. Because the other half of me is screaming, it's toxic, <laughs> get it out of me. Um, but I it's just I just had to visualize through that whole process that it was healing and it and it was doing the job. So once the hardest part I think about cancer is that unknown in that initial stage, do I, don't I, what's, what's going to happen? But as soon as you have a treatment plan, I just found I had something to focus on. Okay, this is our plan and this is what we're going to do and I'm going to get through it. And you can see that light at the tunnel and you just get through day by day. And for me, it was so important to stay positive, positive you know, to really keep that mental positivity because I remember my my mother-in-law who uh, we lost last year, she had said to me, she said, Carolyn, you just surround yourself with positive people and you just shut the door on the negative ones. And that's something that was really good advice because it is hard when you're going through like something like that to take on board other people's negative energy, you know, when you're just trying to suck every positive thing out of life just to get yourself through when you're so sick. And, and, what really got me through was also my kids because they didn't seem to care that my mummy had cancer. They didn't quite, they didn't understand, which I'm, I am very grateful for. That's horrible. I shouldn't say they didn't care. Of course they cared, but life goes on and they kept it real. So, you know, knowing that you still need to be a mum and do what needs to be done, um, I think that really, that really got me, got me through. And, and now coming out the other side, um, it's actually probably harder now. Because you've got that little um, that little voice in the back of your head, what if it comes back, you know? And now there isn't a plan. You know, yes, you have checkups all the time. But once you're through treatment, you're sort of out there on your own. And, 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 and that chemo brain, that is a real thing. <laughs> it really is. Carolyn, um,
1: <laughs> Carolyn, can I ask you? You mentioned just before that negative people. I, I, I'm just trying to still come to terms that people would be negative around somebody that's unwell. Mm. What do you mean?
3: Oh, when, you know, it I was surrounded by so many people and it was a fantastic. Everyone wanted to try and help in in a different way. But when people will come and um first of all you'll get the people you'll get the people who will say, Oh yeah, my grandfather died of cancer, or <laughs> just in a bid oh. to relate to you, you will get that story, oh yeah, my cousin, she died of breast cancer last year. <laughs> they're not the stories oh. you want to hear okay so if everyone listening when you have a friend with cancer do not tell them those stories we want to hear the stories about your friends who survived
1: like what would you, let, let's go through that what is what is it you want as a person who has cancer who's just found out they've had cancer and they're going through the process tell us what you need so that the people listening to this we can understand yeah. it so keep going
3: you need people want everyone wants to do something And I think the key is that rather than they don't know what to do, but what matters is that you just do something because anything is appreciated. You know, I had people turn up with food and I had my beautiful neighbour, um, Lisa, who you had coffee with, Cindy, who mm. knows. We, we cook the same way and she knows how important it was for me to have good food for the kids for recess. She would just turn up on a Sunday afternoon with half her baking for my kids' recess for the next week uh, without, you know, without even telling me or asking. She just did it. I had a lady that knew I'd lost my, I lost my taste during chemo and as someone who loves food, oh, oh
4: devastating
3: and so this beautiful friend just turned up on my doorstep with this awesome curry because she said i reckon you'll be able to taste this (laughs) and but it wasn't just that it was looking after the kids all the beautiful people who looked after my kids all the people that just sent a message or a text just to say i'm thinking about you they did something and it doesn't matter how small it is you know but it's just i think doing something is really important whatever speaks to you whatever your gut tells you to do don't hesitate just do it because it will and be. do,
1: you, do you want to talk about the cancer or would you rather people didn't talk about the cancer or is that a personal thing do you think
3: i think everybody is different for me i was i didn't want it to be the elephant in the room so let's talk about it If you have got any questions hit me with it because everyone they are interested so let's talk about it and now let's move on and talk about something wonderful with you because distraction is also good because it becomes so all-consuming so it is really nice to hear about other people's lives and and what's going on in the real world definitely
1: definitely and did you get like birth stories and all sorts of things of people <laughs> telling you the worst thing that can happen and you know they give you all their account of everything you know what I mean you know that you know the type Oh, no, it is. Yeah, you do, you do get a bit of that. But, but probably <laughs> they're
3: the ones who just told me all their people died, you know. But what was really amazing is because when you have chemotherapy and you lose your hair, obviously, then everyone knows uh, what's going on. And the amount of strangers, the number of strangers who would walk up to me in the street and say something, it just took me by surprise because anyone who'd been through cancer wanted to say something, how are you going, you know, and they told me, I went through it 20 years ago and I'm like, oh, yes, now mm. that's the story I want to hear and that's what kept me going and it was the other, the other survivors who'd come out the other side, their support just meant the world to me because I know, look, they got through it and I'm going to get through it too. So, um, you know, people people are amazing, but it's interesting seeing what it does to the people around you. So I must say the majority of people, they did, they came in close and mum said she's never heard me laugh so much in my life. Isn't that crazy? It was such an awful time, but because I was just surrounded by friends um, and I think the pressure was off. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't have to, there, was, there wasn't as crazy as it sounds, there wasn't stress in my life. I wasn't racing to be somewhere or do something. Or, so I was determined to, to make it a positive. Um,
2: and I've totally forgotten where I was going with that story. <laughs> I, I think it was just what, what people, I've just written down things that you said, Caroline, because, you know, oh, it's important for us to know. Is, yes, you know, what but some do you, people that's
3: right and i just sorry i've just remembered but there were a couple of people who couldn't handle it and i never heard they didn't they were friends but they couldn't handle it they didn't know what to do they didn't know what to say so they actually did nothing and actually pushed themselves further away so i found that really quite interesting but that certainly wasn't the majority of
2: people so um or it could be somebody like me who doesn't know what to do, so goes and get Karen Smith to look after Kim Morris.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, you know, I think you've had so many times.
1: <laughs> i was so worried about her. I didn't know what to do about her, so I went and got Karen and said, help her.
4: <laughs> so funny, and I roll in with all the drugs. Yep, here we go.
1: And <laughs> I'm taking everything. Just give me whatever Caroline. you've got.
4: Yeah. Caroline, That's something you just said has really interested me, and it's kind of a bit of a penny dropping inside and I'm just going to talk as I'm making sense of it. I hope you don't mind.
3: Fine.
4: You said that you had no stress. You had nowhere to be. So the pressure was off.
3: Mm. That's right. Because my sole focus was on beating cancer. So, and I obviously I was still had to be a mum, but um, I suppose when you're faced with a life threatening illness, I mean, you just instantly realise how short life is. I know as cliched as that sounds, um, it's really changed my outlook on life.
4: Um, so can, uh, I ask you, can I ask you a question on that then? You know, because some of us do go through these experiences that are life-changing and they are incredible in terms of the gift of perspective. What do you think? I mean, two years down the track, how much of your old life have you picked back up again? I mean, have you put yourself back into stressful situations again, or are you making different decisions to make sure that you um, stay with the gift of perspective? I am.
3: Yes. No. I am absolutely endeavouring to not ever get back in that situation again. Um, So we have sold our big house in town and we've moved out of town and built this tiny little two-bedroom cottage um, in pursuit of a simple life. Mm. And, um, and it is amazing and it is peaceful and it is beautiful and I will have my amazing organic veggie garden as, as time goes by. Um, and I, I have this burning desire to help people and I know it is what I want to do. I mean, Cindy comes to town and I get all fired up again. Oh, I want to help everyone. I want to save everyone. <laughs> but I have to stop and say, no, no, I've got to help myself first. And I have to take a step back. And focus on me and my own family because I gave so much to everyone else, trying to help them be healthy. I sort of, I essentially forgot about myself. So um,
4: definitely, so I've taken that. Back. How are you actually managing to take that step back? And I, and I'm asking for a reason actually because there is quite a few people that I know that have had breast cancer and that have, you know, uh, my best friend actually she's going into her seventh year yes. now. Um, mm-hmm. of being cancer free and she 's amazing um, and <clears throat> and i and I look at a handful of other people that I know but i 've watched them kind of go back to their normal lives or they 've gone go, they 've got a different kind of life but same kind of stresses mm-hmm. and the same sorts of situations that they had before they 've gone back to that because that 's kind of what they 're used to and it 's more habitual and you know mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff and i and I even just look at people um and and i did an interview just before i got onto this podcast with somebody where we were talking about how you know um these life-altering situations they do give us a gift of perspective they help us to see reality in a different way they help us to see the world through different eyes even if it is you know particularly in your case looking in the terms of healing or you know um making sure that you had a journey of wellness rather than a journey of of continued cancer there's a gift of perspective that comes with that where you did see, hang on a minute, I was so stressed. I was all things to everybody. I had my focus turned outward, trying to help everybody else. If my life is to not create the same thing, then I need to have my focus turned inward and I can hear in everything that you're saying how beautiful you know, you've created your life to be in the steps that you've taken. How, how does somebody that's listening to this podcast that hasn't been through a life altering experience or hasn't had a cancer, how do they adopt or embody this gift that you've been given without having to go through the suffering? How do they get that gift of perspective where they don't make their life about everything else and have themselves running around with their hair on fire, stressed mm. to the max, you know, shoveling in whatever they possibly can, you know, the typical the typical life. How do they do that? It's about, do you... work, it's about working
3: backwards and saying, what legacy do I want to leave? What do I want my life to look like? And asking, and that's, that needs to be, um, guide every decision that you make about your life. So how much money do we really need that that's the question that i think i've really i mean do you really need all that stuff what what is that for all that stuff that's going to go into landfill you know is that going to make you happy and enhance your life um isn't time more precious time with family time with people isn't that what it's isn't that what it's all about um You know, you hear all these, I'm not picking on dads, but you hear dads, oh, I'm doing it for the family and I'm working big, long hours. But you're missing out on your kid's childhood. You know, how much do you need? In Australia, we have the biggest houses in the world. And why? (laughs) So we can spend more time cleaning. Um, Mm. I have to say that um, I've just, yeah, I'm really in favour of just asking you what your priorities are in life and just... What do I want my life to look back if I were writing my own eulogy, you know, what, what should it look like? And then let that be the guide for all of your, for all of your decisions um, because every, every, day, every day counts. You know, I've always been the goal setter working towards something and forgetting about the journey. <laughs> so, you know, I know that probably sounds a bit corny but again, it's, it's enjoying right, every it's- day and the time and the time with people.
4: Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty profound to say to look to the future and say, you know, start from the end and work backwards. Yeah. Never looked at it like that. And to work from the end and look backwards and say, well, if you know, what legacy do I want to leave? And is this choice going to amplify my existence between now and then?
3: That's right. And not leaving. You know, you hear people leaving things to retirement and then something happens and yeah. they don't make it to retirement. So I say, don't wait. If you can do it today, do it today. Um, You know, I know people might say, but financially that's not possible. But what can you do? That's always the question to ask, isn't it? Well, what can I do and what are my priorities?
4: Get into that Dubbo Zoo. (laughs) (laughs) So just do it, girl. (laughs) I can feel it in my bones. I can. I can feel it. It's feeding a giraffe. <laughs> <I know it. laughs> that's amazing. So profound, though. I think for me personally, and I'm sure for our listeners too, that's you know those responses are really profound, Caroline. I, thank you for taking the time to really look at that. I think that that's um, you know because we can we can hear about these conversations and we can hear about these experiences from people, and I really hope that people can. Hear about what's gone on for us and then improve their own lives without having to go through the suffering, Mm -hmm. you know. Because I really do believe that we have our experiences on behalf of mankind, and when we have the courage to share our journey and to share what we've learned and to share how we've come out the other side with the world, then not only does the world become a better place, but it's almost as if that experience has fulfilled its purpose and reached its completion, you know. Like, I kind of feel like it it has no further purpose so you can let it go you can not worry about it anymore because it's fulfilled its purpose Mm. i wonder i don't know whether that's true or not kind of makes my life feel like it works if i think like that (laughs) but i think we can
2: hey we love the way you think (laughs) like i'm just sitting here going into gaga land (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, you're so funny, Cindy. Oh, no, I love it. I love what, how you say things. And, and what's going in my head at the moment is, I, you know, I see it in the health world. So people wait till the horse is bolted, mm. you know, before they, they do something. And, and I have to take my hat off to Carolyn. She didn't wait. She actually was doing things that were right. And mm-hmm. as I said to her in Tabo, Perhaps you may not have survived the chemo as well. Um, perhaps you may not have survived uh, survived the cancer if you had not put all of that stuff into place. Like you said, I I know it sounds weird, but I, I felt I went in healthy as opposed to, you know, ragged. And we don't know the exposomes of our life. And and the exposomes is a new terminology that I did raise in Dubbo. I'm pretty sure I raised it at the Dubbo talk. An exposome means that from before you're conceived, what are you exposed to? And I I actually believe that it doesn't matter, you know, what your exposures are because there's nothing you can do about them. It's about when you make that decision to say, I'm not going to do it this way anymore. I'm going to do it differently. And you don't know what the end result will be and you don't know you know everything that you've done, how it helps that end result. Um, so, you know, I take my hat off to you, Carol, because you did it long before. And even though you know, breast cancer um, happened and we don't know why it happened, we've got no idea, we don't know the exposomes of your life, um, but you did it before. And you'll, and I love what you're doing now, you know, that you've moved out of. Out of your big home into a little um, two bedroom home. By the way, Karen lives in a shoebox. No tissue box. tissue box. I live in a shoebox.
4: Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your place is a mansion compared
2: to mine, Cindy. <laughs> Mine's <laughs> even bigger than. <laughs> yeah, yes. you're a little bit bigger. We're, we're all in small places. Actually, we've all moved out of family homes and <laughs> and and moved into into small, uncomplicated places. <laughs> so. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you just did it earlier than us. Right.
3: <laughs> I don't know, we'll see, check in with the kids. They're not that excited about sharing a
1: bedroom, but they'll get used to it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it'll be good for them, it'll be very good for them. Well. <laughs>
1: So just to finish up, Carolyn, is there anything that you think, having been invited on to Up for a Chat, that you think would be um, a really strong message for our listeners and you sharing your story? Is there something you'd like to finish with and also tell us how people can find you?
3: Yes. Well, you need, first of all, you all need to check your boobs. (laughs) It is uh, very, very important, no matter how old you are. Do not wait until you're 50. I mean I know pe- plenty of people in their 30s that have been diagnosed so everyone just needs to get familiar with their body and check your boobs anything that's not quite right it's just about being aware of our bodies isn't it in generally and being in touch with our in touch with our health Listen. so that's really that's Listen. really important and if you know someone who's going through cancer just do something just just be there do something anything send them a message call them don't be scared um Yeah, you don't need to, just don't need to be scared. Any support is appreciated. Um, And you, oh, how can you find me? Well, (laughs) I'm in Dubbo. (laughs) I have a Facebook page, which is Nourishing and Delicious, which needs a bit of love. I've been focusing on myself. Um, But you can find me on Facebook at Nourishing and Delicious. And I'd love to hear from anyone, anyone that wants to connect.
2: I'll put that in the show notes for you, Carolyn, so that people know uh, how to find you and if, if they're in the same dilemma as you and, and wanting to ask some questions. So yeah. that would be wonderful.
4: Okay. Awesome. Well, you yeah. have been an amazing guest on today's show, Carolyn. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself and so openly and authentically too. You know, it's, it's, it's been a big ride for you, this whole journey of everything that you've done. <laughs> and the best is yet to come. So thank you for being a part of today's show. It's been amazing to share you with our listeners.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. The, one of the great things about reflecting on the last 41 years of my life is that cancer's just a blip. You know, I've had a beautiful life and done a lot of amazing things and this is just going to be, yeah, a tiny blip on the radar. Mm. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to chat to you all.
4: Oh, wonderful. So for all of our listeners, please go ahead and check out Nourishing and Delicious. I'm here on the page right now. I've just liked it. So go ahead and check (laughs) out that page. Um, You'll see that there's a beautiful post there when Cindy was down in Dubbo as well on the 12th of May. So go ahead and check out that page. Get in touch with our beautiful Caroline. Send her some messages. Send her some love and check out everything that she's up to. Um, Thanks again, Caroline, for being a part of the show today. Next week, we've got a really great show with an amazing woman coming up, um, the beautiful Vicki Kelly. So we're really excited to share her with you guys as well. So make sure that you tune in next week, same time, same station. But in the meantime, before you hang up, before you disconnect, make sure that you go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. You can also post all of your comments and your questions at Facebook, com forward slash up for a chat. Or you can also go to all the W's dot the wellness couch dot com forward slash up for a chat. So do that and then we're going to see you here same time, same station next week right here on up for a chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We're going to see you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody.
0: This year, the Wellness Summit returns.
4: The only lesson is ever going to be your learning.
1: That's it. As long as you're learning. That's your lesson. When you stand in front of the mirror, the talk, the things that go on between these ears in the morning can also be what sets you up for a day. And if you've beaten yourself up for not being the most extraordinary person that you can be, then start now. We make it hard for ourselves. We make things difficult for ourselves because we go
4: and apply a whole bunch of stories and a whole bunch of drama and a whole bunch of i good enoughs to the things that occur in our
1: lives. Wake the heck up. Today's a new day and here's where it can change.
0: Kim Morrison and Karen Smith feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives